Episode 145, Dr. Mira Bronku, founder and CEO, consulting psychologist, speaker, and author. My favorite was, it was really hard to pick. I'll be honest. I have many mistakes and many, many favorite ones. <laughs> I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes, but what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com to learn more about Dr. Mira Bronku, her book, her work, her companies, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markraven.com slash mistake 145. Thanks for listening. Now here's the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven, And our guest today, we're joined by Dr. Mira Bronku. Um, she is uh, a consulting psychologist and a speaker and author and more. She helps leaders expertly navigate complexity in the workplace and helps organizations make it easier for leaders to navigate. Dr. Bronku has more than 20 years of experience in large, complex organizations, including federal government, academia, and healthcare. Um, she has a PhD in clinical psychology, and she's co-author of the book, Millennial's Guide to Workplace Politics, What No One Ever Told You About Power and Influence. Uh, so Mira, thank you for being here on the podcast. How are you? Good, thanks for having me. I'm very excited for us to talk today. Uh, it's going to be a great discussion. I'm looking forward to talking about the book. I like, uh, as much as anybody, could use help navigating workplace dynamics or, or politics or whatever we we call that. So I know we'll have a chance to talk about that. But um, as we usually do here on on the podcast, before getting into other topics, you know, thinking back to your career and the things you've done, Mira, what would you say is your favorite mistake? My favorite mistake. It was really hard to pick. I'll be honest. <laughs> I have many mistakes and many, many favorite ones. <laughs> yeah. um, but the one that I keep coming back to, and it's probably just because um, I wrote an entire book on workplace politics. It's related to workplace politics. Um, it must have inspired the need to write it all down, everything that I learned. Um, so in my first career, uh, before I got, I got to be a, a psychologist, I was a uh, school counselor. And in that role, um, it was my first career. So lots of mistakes. And one of those mistakes was that um, I had read uh, somewhere about, um, I think I was just getting like uh, continuing education credits. And among those credits, you're supposed to do a lot of ethics trainings, right? And so I was reading about ethics and um, I started thinking, oh my gosh, are we being unethical in something. I can't even remember what it was. Um, and so I felt like it was my duty <laughs> as a, an employee to bring this up to my um, highest level leader, uh, several several leaders above me, um, you know, just immediately go straight to the top and bring it up and in an email, very lengthy, uh, <laughs> just thinking back on it, like you could imagine the pain the painful sure. Um, sure. memories that are coming back, just um, thinking about what I did. So I, you know, a lengthy email about here's what I think we're, you know, you're doing wrong 
and um, that that um, needs to be changed. And I'm happy to spend some time talking with you about it and sharing all the things that I learned. And here's all the attachments and, you know, overwhelming, uh, I'm sure, um, if not aggravating to a leader to, to, to receive. But I didn't know any of that. I thought I was just being helpful. Um, and that, that um, turned into a favorite mistake, but before it became my favorite mistake, it was like the worst mistake. <laughs> so, and, and boy, I have so many questions, follow-up <laughs> questions to, you know, uh, I've uh, earlier in my career was very guilty of um, sending the long, well-intended email that was mm-hmm. probably correct, but in, in on some level, but no. Uh, so write it. Writing the long email, my goodness. Um, so not to get sidetracked on my own recollections <laughs> of just a uh, a mistake, not a favorite mistake for me. But I mean, so you 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 thought this was the right thing to do at the time. This happens with mistakes. We don't think it's a mistake at the moment. We type it, we hit send. Like, how how did the feedback come to you then around how yeah. the email was received? Yeah. So of course. When we do this, we think we're in the right, you know, and so I was like, hmm, I did something good today, you know, Um, and um, what came instead was um, my immediate supervisor came to me and said, Mira, the email you sent, not well received. Now, had you CC'd the supervisor or did you do the complete end around? Okay. Nope. Did not even include her. Mm-hmm. It, she was blindsided by mm-hmm. this as well. She heard it immediately directly from um, the top person. Um, and uh, I, it was at that moment when she said it was not well received that I, it, I started like realizing and it started hitting me like a ton of bricks that maybe I went about this the wrong way. So I said, Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. I, um, I feel terribly that it wasn't well received. That was not my intention. I'd love to correct this. Um, wh- what should I do? I, I feel like I need to talk with her. I feel like I need to, you know, face to face, apologize, explain what I was trying to do, explain. What, no, 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 Mira. Don't do that, she said. And I said, why? I, I had this need to correct, right? <laughs> um, to right the wrong. Um, and she said, no, I, I fixed it for you. And I said, oh, how did you, wow, thank you. How did you fix this? And she said, well, um, I told her that English was your second language and you sometimes miss things. And I spoke back then the way I speak now. So you wouldn't know English was a second language unless I shared that with you in confidence. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And it was, really more like code to um, brush away the grievous error of my ways. Um, The intention, though, was me feeling um, kind of betrayed, um, angry, um, all the power taken away from me to fix my mistake, and now uh, forever permanently labeled as the clueless person who has really no idea how to communicate effectively about anything. That was like how I felt in that moment with this 
fix or overcorrection. Well, and I, I can see where that was hurtful to you. It also has the effect of being diminishing or insulting to anybody who is speaking a second language. Totally, totally. It was there was there was definitely a sort of inclusion belonging aspect to this where I I all of a sudden I realized, wow, they actually don't feel like I fit in. I actually am, you know, um, somebody who's outside the inner circle. Um, and I didn't actually realize that until that happened. I thought, I thought I was supported by my leaders. I thought I was understood. I thought I had been communicating well. Um, and I realized maybe that's not really the case. So you're right. Part of it was very much invalidating and diminishing as well. So you you never did get that conversation. At, never at got any the conversation directly with the top boss. No. no, from that point forward, I really did feel like I had this kind of um, secret target on my back. I would I would walk around and just feel like I don't fit in. I don't fit in. I don't fit in. Like that. That was the sort of message I kept telling myself from that point on, whether that was right or, I mean, true or accurate or not, um, that was the message at that point that I kept telling myself. So uh, how much longer did you stay in that first career as you described it before moving on to other things? I think I probably spent um, maybe up to one more year. Um, it's it's hard to recall the the series of events, but but it, that was a pivotal moment where I started thinking, you know what, um, I'm not fit for this profession. Uh, I'm not, uh, or, or I don't belong in large hierarchical bureaucratic systems. Um, you know, the, these are the kinds of questions I was asking myself. What is my next step, um, given how I'm feeling right now about um, me not quite getting it and not knowing how to navigate uh, as well as I want to. Right. So, and again, I've been in similar situations. I think back to a couple different jobs and these are all going back 20 years or more. Maybe there's a more recent one that I've blocked out, but I've tried to learn a lesson around um, not like sometimes it easier, it, it's easier to craft the email. Um, we can think out our thoughts, we can lay out our case, we can take our time. It's maybe less intimidating than a face-to-face -face conversation. But I've, I've tried, you know, like one lesson learned from my past mistakes around this is, boy, talking live, even if it seems uncomfortable to bring up the topic, it, it's, it's a better choice usually than the long email. I mean, have, have you changed some of your approach um, that way, trying to do a phone call or a face-to-face. -to -face. Totally. And um, realizing that uh, in most cases, it's unlikely I have all the information that I need to have and that I need to access the information in order to know what my next step is. So I could have a starting like assumption of what I feel is sort of wrong or not working out right or whatever, uh, but not to leap straight into, uh, I have the answers now. I have a solution. I know exactly what's going on. Uh, so that's, I definitely learned that, that, that there, 
I am not in a vacuum. I'm in an entire system and I'm one person with some piece of information. So what's left now, you know? Um, and the only way to get some of that is through conversations. Like you said, the one-on-one conversations, um, starting ideally with the immediate boss or other people who have more information than I might have. And, and I think there's a couple of phrases that come to mind um, that I've learned through working in healthcare. I'm curious if, if you've had similar experiences with your time working in healthcare. You know, one is a phrase, let's say if um, what well, one phrase is just to state a fact, I have a concern. Like it would be really unfair for somebody to say, no, you don't. Right. So then mm-hmm. you can say, I have a concern, state your understanding of what's going on. And to your point from a minute ago, leave open the door for somebody to say, well, no, you, you don't understand the full picture. And then, you know what, that resolves the concern without having this sort of, I'm right, you're wrong kind of situation. Yes. Is, is that something you've heard or used? Yes. And um, I, um, I think often about humble leadership um, and that approach um, which which is um, developed by um, Edward Schein, humble consulting, um, taking the approach that um, of curiosity, you know, and saying, "I read this, and I'm curious what you think about it, or have you seen this before, and what, how do you apply this to our work?" Um, and and just sort of letting go of or at least holding my concerns for a little while longer while I learn a greater and greater perspective and different um, people's observations of the same situation. Yeah, and there's um, another phrase that that can be helpful or sometimes paired up with, um, I have a concern, is help me understand, which is Mm -hmm. coming more from that place of curiosity or inquiry. Yes. Uh, what are your thoughts on that phrase? Yeah. Um, and um, mine is tell me more. Can you tell me more mm-hmm. about, you know, X, Y, and Z? This is what I understand, but I feel like I'm missing something. And so one other question, you know, with your, your story and your situation there, and, and this is more in the realm of um, politics and maybe, you know, power dynamics and, and things that you write about and, and help people with that. It seems like whatever the valid concern you had about this ethics situation, what should have been a discussion about that was was turned into a discussion about you. Yes. And your approach. And and that 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 is a tactic that organizations will use. They will, in a way, shoot the messenger. What are your thoughts on that? Um Yes, <laughs> that's a really good point. Um, I I did feel like it was, as I reflected well after the situation, an easy out. Like when you make it about the person and their inability to bring it up in a way that you would have wanted them to bring it up, um, you deflect the real issue, which is the concern I brought up that should still be addressed <laughs> and that w- which was never addressed. I mean, I never found out, never addressed. It just sort of disappeared into thin air. Yeah. And 
yeah, so there's this question and you know, uh, the, the little bit I've been exposed to ideas from counseling just through healthcare people that I've met and worked with. Um, there's, there's this, um, you know, I, this question of, um, and this could apply to coaching as well. Do you want to be right? Or do you want to be helpful? And, um, I don't mean this to sound harsh, but it sounds like you know, your, your reflection is similar. Like the email may have been right, but it wasn't helpful. And that's yes. something to learn from, right? That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, I, um, I think there's, there is a lot in there about how you, it's not just about effective communication, right? There's, there's effective listening and data gathering so that you can approach things in a way that is um, thoughtful instead of reactive or immediate. And I know that, you know, right now we're living in a, such a fast-paced world that um, everything feels like reactive, got to make decisions like, you know, fast, 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 right? Um, But one of the things that I hear often um, are, you know, greatest uh, regrets or concerns of leaders is the feeling like they cannot make strategic uh, plans think strategically because there's not enough reflection time. There's not enough time to slow down and gather enough information to make, you know, smarter decisions that they want to make. And instead, um, these things happen where there's like quick assumption making and um, then sort of um, ruptures that occur in relationships or decision-making where now they have to backtrack in similar ways as a result. So are, are there things that you found effective to help leaders create the space for reflection or to, to help them share the belief that reflection is helpful and worth making time for? Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, these days it's an easier case to make because they know it because they feel it. They're, they're, um, you know, um, burning out because it's, it's too fast paced or um, they're feeling like the things that they love about being a leader, which is the strategic thinking is the very thing that gets such short shrift, you know, like not enough information. So they are actually these days seeking um, having either just the one-on-one individual um, uh, executive coaching for that or team development or, um, you know, strategic planning and facilitation sessions all so that they can slow down to speed up. Right. This is, this is like a a very kind of popular saying, slow down to speed up. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we're learning um, within the department of veterans affairs, we have um, a specific executive team assessment. And in that assessment, we ask leaders, do you feel as a team, as a unit, that you spend enough time reflecting on your team's performance and how you um, work together um, or spend enough time reflecting on how you communicate and resolve conflicts? Um, Among all the items on this uh, assessment, that's often the one that they all agree 
that they do don't feel like they spend enough time on. And we use that to help them set some goals. Like how can you embed this review and improve process in your team meetings? Um, There are very few leaders and leadership teams that actually have a review and improve process for their teams and how their team performance is as compared to the sort of external um, results, you know, organizational results. But those results are so tied to how much time they spend reflecting on, you know, how well they work as a team and integrate and coordinate that that is one of the things that we often sort of talk about. And it seems like a lot of what you talk with leaders about is based in your education in clinical psychology. Um, So I want to hear your thoughts on, you know, applications of um, concepts or or, or methods from clinical psychology that best apply to looking at the dynamics of a workplace and helping people um, improve their workplace dynamics and their leadership. Yeah, so um, one of the sort of popular, maybe overused words or concepts is emotional intelligence, right? Um, But if you break it down, it is about a couple of things. Number one, how you show up uh, as a leader, uh, how you show up for your team and for your organization and understanding yourself well enough and being aware of what you're bringing so that you're not escalating problems without realizing you're escalating a problem. Um, and so you know exactly how to de-escalate a problem. There's a lot of critical thinking in there, a lot of sort of recognizing when you're pushing too hard and knowing how to meet people where they are in order to understand where you are. Um, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, perspective, taking all of that um, is within sort of these concepts of emotional intelligence. Um, That is one of kind of three drivers that I think about when I think about like workplace dynamics. The second, I think we touched on several times, which is the systems level thinking that you're not in a vacuum, right? That, um, even with my own story, I didn't realize that there's layers of things happening and I'm just one um, at one layer, right? There's, there's, um, you know, uh, agendas, there's, there's what teachers want for students and what students want for themselves. There's what parents want for students and of the teachers. There's the administrators and what they want of the teachers of the parents and the students. There's the school district, like, right. And the, the larger the organization, the more you have to understand. Um, sometimes these, you know, they're called stakeholders, right. Sometimes they're um, called, uh, you know, team members, whatever, but you have to understand um, the different perspectives in the system and how your decision-making is going to impact that. Um, Interestingly, clinical psychologists, not all of them think in systems ways. Many of them think still in one-on-one, right? Uh, The one-on-one therapy, um, and we're getting better and better at that in that field. Uh, But but one of the things that that I was most fascinated about is that systems level of thinking, that 
that when you're working with someone, you're actually working with, you know, their father, their mother, their brother, the sister, their children, their community, their neighbors, their supervisors, their second level leaders, right? All, all, and you want to have a sense of all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, The final is how you drive results. And there are many ways to do this, but if you're thinking like as a clinical psychologist, it's asking, how are we measuring this? Have we gathered all the data? What data is missing? Um, Are we missing about uh, information about different roles and contributions that affect that data? Um, So it's kind of embedding the data in the people stuff. The people side of change is is really where clinical psychology can come in. Yeah. And you you touch on this idea of complex systems, um, complex workplace dynamics. Um, I think one thing that often gets talked about in problem solving in different forms is that when you have a complex system, there's very, uh, it's very unlikely that there's a single simple root cause for the problems. Does that apply um, when you're looking at something where, where people might say, you know what, that, that department's just toxic or that, that, that organization is just dysfunctional and nobody can even sort out where that ever began or ended. Um, what, what, what are some of your thoughts about situations like that and trying to find, is it even worth looking for a root cause or how do we get into that? That is a great question. And I think it depends on your definition of root cause, mm-hmm. uh, because if your definition is it's got to be one person or one department, then you're right. It's not going to be quite accurate. But if your definition is um, there is a certain kind of process that is causing a lot of bottlenecks, a lot of communication problems, slowdowns, arguments, then it makes a lot of sense. And that process can probably run through the entire system. And you might not even know what that process is. I often use the term whack-a-mole, which, you know, is like, um, you know, we'll, I'll get a request about something that sounds uh, really like a big culture issue, right? Like organizational trauma is something that I've had some experience with, um, <clears throat> where something awful has happened and it has sort of shook employees at their core where they now have a feeling of betrayal in the system or lack of trust, which is you know the, a core issue. If you don't have trust, trustworthy leaders, trustworthy organization, you really cannot work on anything else. And I'll get a request. Um, those people over there are not uh, playing nicely. And we'd like you to go to just that one team and fix them and uh, try to make them work better. (laughs) Fix them, you're wrong. Over there, right? Those people, right? Um, And I will usually say, I can do that, but this is a -a whack-a-mole problem. Mm -hmm. I can can hit that down and I can promise you another thing is gonna pop up and then I'm gonna hit this one and another thing is gonna pop up because this sounds like an organizational level problem and we can certainly start slowly, but eventually what we're going to realize is we're going to need to have a much more systems level approach. 
And so, you know, there are leaders and executives um, where you might say it's their role to try to help fix um, these, these systems. But maybe we'll bring it back to more of, you know, the, the, the question of what can an individual do to better mm. navigate all of this. So uh, yeah. again, the, the title of the book, um, Dr. Mira Bronku, it's the Millennials Guide to Workplace Politics, but no one ever told you about power and influence. So I'm not a millennial. I'm too old to bear that label. Um, so am I. Is, <laughs> is this a book that would be helpful to, to, to those of us and those who are listening who are not millennials? Yeah. Uh, great question. This is part of uh, the millennials book series. So uh, certainly it's in the title, but absolutely anyone could benefit from this book. It is practical, straightforward, simple, um, goes from what you can do as a leader and even somebody in an informal leadership role or not in a leadership role at all to be as proactive as possible in creating the most positive work environment for yourself and around you. What do you do, though, um, if you have to be in a reactive role because some people around you are misusing the system for personal gain, uh, and that means misusing you in, in some ways, um, and creating a lot of trust issues or whatever. And then at the end of it, we end with, um, what if you've tried everything, and you know how do you know when it's time to move on? Now, ideally, my goal is to teach everyone how to be as proactive as possible so that you never get to the point where you're so miserable that you feel like you need to go. Um, but I, I also don't want people to be miserable in their environments. But in terms of your first question, like what can one person do? Surprisingly a lot. Um, it goes back to those three principles that I mentioned, which is first you develop your emotional intelligence. You can do that through coaching, through therapy, through assessments, through um, supervisors, through mentors, there, uh, you know, personal training. There's so many ways to keep developing yourself so that you understand yourself well enough to know how um, to be effective when you walk into a room to de-escalate problems and problem solve and demonstrate your critical thinking, really. Um, then understanding uh, and under, you know, like the systems level. So how can I impact and influence the system, no matter whether I have a formal leadership position or not? There are a lot of ways that you can uh, start building a team, even if it's not a formal team, and, um, you know, come at things thinking about not just your own personal growth in the company, but also what can I do to make an impact beyond me and sort of move the needle uh, in, in creating that positive work culture? And people gravitate towards that. People are needing and missing and, and wanting that kind of, um, you know, integrity and trustworthiness uh, in whether you're an official leader or not. And then the final is how do I drive results? How um, what information do I need to gather so that I am well equipped to make the right decisions and help my leaders make better decisions, but not in the way that I used to do it, <laughs> not in the way that I used to do it <laughs> in more effective ways. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of opportunities to, um, 
learn from our own mistakes, but at the same point, at the, at the same time, um, reading about mistakes others have made or listening to them in a podcast um, can maybe help people um, avoid avoid that same trap as long as they're learning from whatever individual mistakes. They, we're, yeah, we're, all, so we're all going to have something to learn from. I'm so glad that you are doing this podcast. I think um, too often we um, have this need to demonstrate invulnerability. And um, I feel like we learn so much more when we hear really effective leaders share their mistakes and what they learned and how they grew from them. So I'm glad that you're, you're, you know, showing that on your podcast all the time, That that is a really important message. Well, I'm glad you were willing to share your story and I'm thankful that other guests would. Um, one, one other question I wanted to ask you before we wrap up. Um, you know, I, I, I remember a younger version of me saying something like, you know, I just want to, I just want to do my work and I just want to make an impact. I don't want to deal with office politics and getting some coaching from people, uh, including my wife, who mm-hmm. uh, she's listening, she'll remember this. Um, basically saying, well, that that's unrealistic. The, the, the reality is that there are going to be politics in an organization. And instead of just trying to ignore it, you need to get better at navigating that. I see you, yeah. you nodding your head. I used to be uh, like that too. Like, <laughs> keep me out of it. None of my business. Uh, this stuff is, you know, ugly, dirty, disgusting, nasty uh, workplace politics. But um, what I grew to realize is if you just think about it in a very neutral um, way around how can I uh, feel effective and make a difference that is positive, that I feel good about where I work and I help others feel that too. Um, And then you can do it. It's extraordinarily empowering and way more empowering than sitting complaining about how uh, everyone around you sucks. Yeah, so that's a, a, a good reminder of reframing. I mean, poli- politics gets a bad rap, whether it's just in society or in an organization. We think about like the negative things that are considered, quote unquote, political in the workplace. And it could be more a matter of like, well, I don't want to emulate that bad behavior. That's, that's right. sometimes being labeled as politics. But if we're going to define it in terms of like, you know, trying to positively influence others, that's mm-hmm. not really something to shy away from. That's right. Yeah. So you can change the word politics to um, positive people dynamics or, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, cr- creating, um, you know, a uh, honest uh, community of people with integrity. That's politics, too. It's just that the word politics has been so marred by the mm-hmm. negative side um, that we forget there's a positive side to creating a good community that of people that want to make good positive change. Well, thank you. That's, that's well said. And, and thank you for what you're doing to, to help others navigate this um, as leaders, as organizations, as individuals. So uh, again, our guest has been Dr. Mira Bronku. Her book is The Millennial's Guide to Workplace Politics, What No One Ever Told You About Power and Influence. And you can find um, her website at bronkuassociates.com. And, and what will people find there at the website in terms of you can give a summary of the the types of work that that you do. Yeah. So 
Um, I love working with women leaders. So you'll see a lot of information about how I work with women within organizations and helping organizations support women as leaders. Um, Another area of expertise, uh, you won't be surprised to hear, is team development and Mm -hmm. um, helping teams be as uh, effective as possible. So you'll see information about that. Um, And then you'll also see my blogs all about um, career organizational development, uh, everything related to all of these things for all levels of of leadership, including emerging and inspiring leaders. Good. Well, I hope people will go check out the website. Again, bronqassociates.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. Um, So Mira, thank you again so much for sharing your story and having a great discussion here today. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great time. Really appreciate it. Again, for links and more information about Dr. Mira Bronku and her work, look for links in the show notes in your app or go to markraven.com slash mistake 145. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.